You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled, Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, I, I want to close out our series on the rumors of Jesus, dealing with a passage of Scripture that's not in the Old Testament, all right? So uh, new, it's in the New Testament. It's the very last book in Revelation. And actually, what I want to do this morning, because uh, what we've done over the last several weeks is look at an Old Testament passage, specifically in Isaiah, and shown how uh, Jesus fulfills that Old Testament passage. And, and so what we're looking at this morning is we're looking at a passage of Scripture that has not happened yet. Uh, but the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus, uh, it um, sets in motion so that with certainty and with confidence, what we read in Revelation 21 is going to happen because that's the second advent. That's the second arrival. And so I want to, as weird as it may sound, uh, by, I want to celebrate the first arrival of Jesus, which we're doing at Christmas, right? That's what we're doing this coming Saturday by looking at the second arrival that's coming and what that brings in Revelation 21. Sometimes you don't know, like, how much space do you need before you throw in an illustration that you've done before? And so, like, I just, you got to know that eventually you kind of run out of stuff and then it's like, oh, yeah, I like this thing. I'm going to bring that back. And the reality is I think we all forget everything I say, or at least I forget everything I say once I walk off this stage. So I'm sure you guys do the same. Um, but one of the songs that's familiar within Christmas time is, uh, I think it's called Grown Up Christmas List. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. Okay. Do you get, there's like nobody? I mean, come, there's like 20 people. Yes. All right. Yeah, it's a Christmas song. It was written back in the early 90s. I think Mariah Carey was the first one that sang it. Am I right? Okay, it doesn't really matter who first sang it, right? I know David Foster and Lynn Thompson were the two that wrote this song. And in this lyric is, um, is really kind of like Revelation 21, which I don't, I don't think David Foster or Lynn Thompson are Christians at all. Uh, but here's like a portion of that lyric. Do you still have that, Tim? I, did, I told you I wouldn't use it. And then I didn't in the nine, and then I brought it back in the 11. Uh, so here's the, and you guys, I'm not going to sing it. I'll just read it, all right? Uh, so here's my lifelong wish, my grown-up Christmas list, not for myself, but a world in need. Uh, no more lives torn apart, that wars would never start. A time would heal all of our hearts and everyone would have a friend and right would always win and love would never end. This is my grown-up Christmas list. Neat little song, fun thing to sing. Um, but the question that it stirs in all of us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, is that, is what this desire, is it really, can it really happen? Or is this just kind of a nice wishful thinking? Is there, is there a place where we can have confidence and certainty that the longing and the desire of this song, even though it's most likely not written by a Christian, can come to fulfillment? And I would say, yeah, Revelation 21 is at the heart of what this little song is about. 
It's a, it's a longing that we all have, a desire that we all have, a, a world, right, that's at peace, a, a place that's full of flourishing and goodness where dreams are never abandoned, where, you know, our desires and longings that we have are, are, are truly and really fulfilled. And that's the beauty of what happens in Revelation chapter 21. And that's the beauty of what uh, the first advent brings to us. It brings to us the certainty of what Jesus will bring when he comes back again. Because what we see, and maybe I'm getting into too much here, but this is good for us. One of the things you see in the Old Testament prophets, specifically like Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 9, that are, that are predicting the coming of the son of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. You'll notice, go home and read Isaiah 11, because it talks about uh, the stump of Jesse, the root of Jesse. There's a spring or a little shoot that comes out and it, and it mashes up the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus as one event. So you hear about the, the coming of Christ and as a babe, as a child, and then you also hear about Revelation 21, where the, the child walks by, uh, you know, a, a viper nest and it doesn't harm them. Or, you know, um, I'm, I'm going off my memory here real quickly here, guys, so bear with me. Where the lion and the lamb, they lay together, where uh, what, what they normally would eat, they're eating the same thing, both a you know, a wolf and a cow eat hay together. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's, a, there's a peace that's happening with the world in Isaiah chapter 11. And it all looks like one event. Jesus comes and boom, the new world. Well, that's not the case. It, it's two events. So the, the first advent, the coming of Christ guarantees, right? The second advent, the second coming of Christ and all the benefits. But there are two separate events, not one mashup. And so what I want to do this morning, I just want to just highlight, I, I, Revelation 21 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and uh, it's a great passage to meditate on and think on as we enter into the Christmas week. And I just want to highlight a few things from this passage of Scripture and then kind of land the plane on, on a few invitations that I have for us as we uh, step into Christmas. And there's my water. I was going like, where'd my water go? So here it is. Uh, so the first thing I want you to see here, I just got three observations. The first one is this, is that um, there's a new home that's being built for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about this in John 14. And then we see it also here in Revelation 21. I would put before you too that there's nothing like Christmas that kind of awakens longings for home. Um, a home maybe that you've never had, right? A home where you feel safe. A home where you feel seen. A home where you feel loved unconditionally. A home where you feel uh, you can drop your guard. A home where you feel like you belong. And I would also put before you that those longings and those desires are echoes of a home that we lost in Eden. And what we see happening here in Revelation 21 is sort of like a new Eden, a new home for the redeemed people of God. Look what he says here, starting in verse one. Then I, who is John, who's the writer of the book of Revelation, he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I'll explain that here in just a minute. Some of you are going, what? There's no ocean in the new heavens and the new earth. No, bear with me. I'll explain that's a metaphor that he's using there. Uh, verse two, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So first notice that the key word in this first two verses here, because it's repeated often, is new. This is what God is doing. Here's the 
the vision that God is giving John, that this universe, this present heaven, this present earth will be renewed, that there's a, there's a continuity between this world and the new world. God is not scrapping the old and burning it up and starting all over with a clean slate. That's not what God is doing here. He's renewing creation. He's remaking of creation. It will be both a familiar feel and smell, but it will be brand new. That's what God is doing here. And that's what that word new means. He's not blowing everything up and burning it all up and starting from absolutely nothing like he did in Genesis one. No, he's renewing, remaking, giving us a new heavens and a new earth. And notice also, this is not some kind of immaterial state that we're going to live in. We're not going to be disembodied figures floating around and you know, whatever, you know, riding on clouds. That's not what we're created for, amen? Like we are, we are earthy people. God created us with a physical body to live on a physical earth. And so what we have to look forward to is not some kind of immaterial, theoretical place, but a real, tangible, touchable place, a physical place experienced with our real, renewed physical bodies. That's our new home. That's the new heavens and the new earth. Now notice one little small detail that sometimes we have a tendency to overlook. Notice the movement of this new heavens, this new city of God. Look at verse two again. So I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And what is it, do, what is it doing? What's the, what's the movement here? It is, say it out loud, it's coming down coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So look, I know it's a minor little detail, but it's a very important one. The story of the Bible is not how you and me get to heaven. I mean, how many of you grew up in a church? Hey, come forward today, or you sit down with someone, hey, pray this prayer so that when you die, you will get to go, say it out loud, to where? To heaven. That's a really important thing. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. All right. Yes. Yes. The Bible talks a lot about us being in heaven, but understand that the story of the Bible is not primarily about you getting to heaven. The story of the Bible is how heaven is coming back down on earth. That's the story of the Bible. And if you, if you read the Bible through that lens, man, specifically the book of Revelation actually comes to life. Because how did everything start? We spent 11 weeks in Genesis 1 and 2. And what do we see with heaven and earth? They're not separated, are they? They're one. Where is God? In Genesis 1 and 2, specifically 2. He's walking with humanity. He is with them. There's nothing that separates them. Then Genesis 3 comes, all hell breaks loose and heaven and earth is separated. And the whole story of the Bible is eventually how heaven comes down on earth where God can be with his people. What did Jesus pray in the Lord's prayer? What is our prayer even now as we're in between these two advents? What does it say? Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a movement that's happening here to where it's not primarily about us getting to heaven. It's primarily about heaven coming down on this earth. And that's exactly what we see in Revelation 21, where God comes in with a redeemed and forgiven and renewed humanity, where, where, where earth and heaven are reunited. That's the new home, that's the new heavens and new earth that we are looking forward to and we're praying for and we're also shouting out, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. So that's the first observation. There's a new home, a new heaven, a new earth coming down so that it can be with uh, God and with his people. The second thing we see in this passage, this new home, which I've kind of already alluded to, but it's okay for us to say it again. This new home that we have is with God that his presence is with us. And it's not a presence that's veiled. It's not a presence that's hidden, like we experience now. Like sometimes it's really, even though God's presence still permeates this earth, it is veiled, it's hidden, it's hard to see. That will not be the case in the new heavens and the new earth. Look what he says here in verse three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, or... Behold, God's dwelling is where? With humanity. And he will live where? With them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. Part of the storyline of the Bible is bound up in these promises that we see here in verse 3, where God will be at home with his people. Quick Survey, just three Old Testament passages. In Exodus, it says this, chapter six, verse seven. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Leviticus, that wonderful book that you love to read through as you're reading through the Bible in a year, you go to Leviticus 20. That was not funny at all. You know what he laughed? The nine laughed a little bit. Uh, Chapter 26, verse 11. I will do what? I will live among you and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Ezekiel 37, verse 27, my dwelling place or my home will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This chapter, Revelation 21, is finally and fully fulfilled here. Notice that the first and greatest blessing on the new heavens and the new earth is that God is there. He's present with us. He's walking with us. The word that he uses for dwelling here in verse three is the same word that was used for tabernacle in the Old Testament. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they had a tabernacle they would set up in the middle of the camp. And at night, a pillar of fire would land on that. A cloud would come over to that symbolized the very presence of God. And then John one picks up on this same theme when he says the word became flesh and what? Dwelt. It's a literal word for tabernacle, tent, made his home with us. And it's the same word that he uses in verse three. This is the new creation. Everything that we sung about, about Emmanuel, God with us is fully and completely realized in the new heavens and the new earth. Goal of God, the goal of God has been from the beginning is for us to be with him. So this this new home, man, it's a new heavens. It's a new earth. It's renewed. It's it's, 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 it feels similar, but it's brand spanking new. And in this new home, we are with God fully, 
completely. There's no guessing where he is because he is with us. And so just remind ourselves, right? This is something we need to be reminded of often. Uh, The reason why this new home, this new heavens and new earth will be absolutely amazing is because God is there and his presence will be full. Because if God is not there, then it's hell. But this new home, this new place is gonna be unimaginably beautiful and unimaginably amazing because God's very presence will be seen and experienced in full. So new home, new home that is with God. And lastly, a new home with God is filled with a bunch of no mores. I'll highlight three. The first one is in verse one, there's no more evil. That's what he means by the sea. So high level in this time, sea was like synonymous with chaos. It wasn't a really safe way to travel, right? You know, when you travel by sea, you're entering to a lot of unpredictability. You, know, you have no idea what you can expect with that, all right? That's, that's one understanding of sea in this time. The other one, most likely, is the metaphor that John uses over and over in the book of Revelation to refer to d- the devil and all of his demons. He, he refers to them as sea monsters here. And so, in essence, when he says there's no more sea, he's just saying, look, there's no more evil. There's no more chaos. There's no more of anything within this world that, that, that's gonna disturb your real peace, your, your contentedness, your, your calmness. Evil is gonna be completely eradicated. It will be no more. So know this, that there will be scuba diving in the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be surfing in the new heavens and the new earth like we cannot even imagine what it is. There will be wonderful, beautiful oceans that will be amazing. They'll be even more beautiful than what we can see right now because the curse will be completely lifted off of this earth. So that's one no more. There's no more evil. The second one is this. There's no more suffering. I love what he says in verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All that causes sadness and pain and sorrow on this earth will be completely gone. There will be no more mourning, pain, or crying. The only crying that you will experience in the new heavens and the new earth is tears of joy, right? How many of us in this room have been drawn to tears of joy at times in our life? That's the kind of tears that you will see in the new heavens and the new earth. Not tears from pain, not tears from hurt, not tears from sadness. So think about this. No more anxiety. Amen? No more depression. No more heartbreak. No more back pain. No more knee pain. No more pain in general, right? If I didn't cover your pain areas, just know all of them are dealt with, right? No more stomach bug, amen? What a horrible sickness. Goodness gracious, man. No more COVID. Gone. And everything that stands in the way of your joy and wonder and childlike delight will be absolutely gone. I love how some commentators talk about that little phrase, and God will wipe away every tear. 
from your eyes. It carries this idea that it's a promise that God is going to redeem the very story that caused that tear. That he's going to um, bring about a, an area where you, you, Lord willing, well, not Lord when we know this, right? Where there was confusion about what God was doing. When he wipes that tear away, you'll see fully and completely, clearly. Where there may have been a season where you doubted whether God loved you, cared for you, saw you in that moment of pain and suffering. In the new heavens and a new earth, we will, we will see it as a display, as crazy as it may sound, but I promise you this is what's being promised here. We'll see it as a display of God's love. He sees, he cares, he loves. So no more evil, no more suffering. And the last one, it's the greatest enemy of humanity. There is no more death, none. As I've said before, Christmas can be a really extremely difficult time for some people because this is gonna be a, a season where your first Christmas you're celebrating without your loved one, but here's what is coming for those who are in Christ, for the redeemed people of God. Here is what is coming, a time, a place, a, a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more death, no more picking out caskets for loved ones, no more walking to divorce court with broken friends, no more life robbing cancer, no more burying unrealized dreams and no more putting down beloved pets, amen? Everything that the curse brought because of sin of humanity is undone and will be no more. And it will not only be ended, but so radically vanquished that what has happened will only serve to make our future life and joy infinitely greater. As C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Great Divorce, he says this, the say, they say of some temporal sufferings that there's no future bliss bliss that can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even the agony into a glory. Tim Keller responding and talking about this quote in his book, Reason for God says this, the Bible's view of things is resurrection, not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even better. That's what we're headed to. That's what the second arrival of Jesus will accomplish. And we have certainty that this will happen because this is not built upon our shoulders. It's not humanity that's gonna make this a reality. Jesus, the one who came in the flesh as a babe, right? Did his work on earth, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into the right hand of the Father where he sits today, orchestrating all of the events of history to this very end. And that's what Paul, I mean, John is getting after when he says this in verse five, then the one seated on the throne, and who's that one? His name is Jesus. Said, look, behold, I am making everything new. And he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and there will be omega, the beginning and the end. A new home, new heavens, new earth, 
with God, fully with him in his presence where there's not gonna be any more evil, no more suffering, and no more death. His first advent guarantees his second advent. So we as followers of Jesus Christ, as we live in these in-between advents, can live with certainty and confidence and know that this is our future. This is where we're headed. This is the hope we really have. So here's how I want to kind of land the plane. I want to offer you guys, um, in response to what we see here in Revelation 21, here's a three little ways that we can kind of respond to this. Uh, the first one is this. I encourage us to think through and pray through and ask God to help us as followers of Jesus Christ to be a hopeful presence as we enter into this kind of Christmas week, specifically as we enter into Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. I get it, man. I, um, I get it. Sometimes families and extended families can create a ton of anxiety. Uh, it can create a lot of tension. Um, it can be really stressful. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Am I resonating with anybody's experience sometimes with family? I'm saying like it can just... It just feels like you have to be prepared. All right, I got I to gotta get myself ready to go as I enter. And unfortunately, that's just kind of sad in and of itself that that's the case. But that's the reality for a lot of us in this room. And what I'm asking and asking of you is that ask the Spirit of Christ to help you be a hopeful presence. We talk a lot about presence around here. And, and one of the main reasons why is I do believe that the work of sanctification or the work of maturing as a follower of Jesus Christ is not just gaining a bunch of head knowledge, but that your presence is impacted. That you, that the way people experience you changes. That they don't feel and experience an anxious presence from you. That they don't feel and experience a complaining presence from you. They don't feel and experience a critical presence from you or a cynical presence from you. But that as you sit and you're with Jesus, that the very presence of Jesus becomes your presence. Yes, imperfect. You're not walking in here as a perfect person. I get that. But the more you are with Jesus, my prayer is that the fruit of the spirits become you faithfulness, love, kind, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are experienced and felt within relationships. And I'm just encouraging us as we enter in possibly to some chaos this week, that God by his grace would help you be a hopeful presence. That no matter how dark your family may feel or you experience from them, no matter... Um, yeah, how bad you think it might be, right? That you walk into those situations confident that God is at work even though you can't see it. And here's the clue, God is at work in and through you and your presence, how you show up really matters. So may, as we kind of enter in to, for some of us, a chaotic week, maybe ask the Lord, because the spirit of Christ dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus, that he would help you to be a hopeful presence for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. Secondly, 
Um, and this is for all of us, definitely, but even more so maybe for those that are going through a really difficult time. If, if I had to sum up the, um, what is kind of like the, 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 the main call of Revelation 21 or even the whole book of Revelation, what is, he, what is he after for us as we read this is that we would hold on. I mean, the book of Revelation is a book about the end, but it's specifically written to a group of people that are suffering greatly under a very wicked and evil government. And, and, and the heart of it is that, you know, we want to see how, how it ends. And it isn't so that we can walk around and be self-righteous and say all the wicked people are going to hell. We're awesome and amazing. No, it's so that in the midst of suffering and pain, we can have a hopeful presence. We can have a presence of love and kindness and we can endure difficulty because we can hold on. We know what's coming. We know what's at the end of this. We know what the new heavens and the new earth is gonna be. So I can endure suffering and pain and sacrifice today because I'm not losing out on a dream, right? I'm not. I don't have to have a bucket list here because everything that I desire and long for will happen in the new heavens and the new earth. So we can hold on. So if you, you know, at the end of the day, Saturday, you know, gifts are unwrapped and you had a wonderful meal and nobody got in a fight and everything was great. Conversations were wonderful. And you sit back and you think, man, this was the best Christmas that we have ever had in years, right? And maybe that will be for you. I could pray for that. I, I, I pray for that. It's like, I wanna have an awesome Christmas Saturday. It's gonna be great, right? But hear this, hear this. Even if you have the most wonderful Christmas ever, Please hear this. Do not try to hold on to that moment necessarily. Don't try to remake that episode next year. Here's what I wanna encourage you with. Even though it may be wonderful and amazing, hold on to this truth. The best is yet to come, right? As great as this day could be for you, it's just a taste of what God has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. Hold on, hold on. Maybe Saturday will be the worst Christmas for you. It might. You might have gotten a gift that you thought this was gonna be great and maybe your friend or your spouse just did not feel like it was very great, right? You have those tears of confusion. It's like, you're crying and I'm hopefully it's a good cry, right? Even if it's the worst Christmas, right? Once again, let Revelation 21 encourage you to hold on, hold on. The best is yet to come. There's coming a day where there won't be family tension. There's coming a day where you won't be shattered by broken dreams and broken desires and see all the things that you long to have and you don't have necessarily relationally with your family. There's coming a day when all that will be mended. The best is yet to come. And remember that our holding on is like a two-year-old holding on to their parent as they play in the ocean. Who's doing the holding there? The parent is. So no, maybe your hold is really weak. <laughs> it's okay. God's got you. He's the one that's really holding on. So may we be a hopeful presence. May we hold on. And then the last one is this, and then I'm done. For some of us, my invitation for you, and I think it's in Revelation 21, is that you would come home. Not home in the sense of an earthly home, but home in the sense that you are created for Jesus. You're created by him 
and for him. And this place that he is creating is for you. But you do not get there on your own merit. You do not. And John says, as hard as verse eight can be in hearing that, he is saying that this home is not for everyone. This home is only for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And the only thing that you have to do, the only thing that's required of you is for you to have thirst. That's it. And you see that in the middle of verse six, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Thirst is not the work that we do in order for us to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't get anything for your thirst, right? You go to a bar, you go to a restaurant and say, hey, I would like to pay for my drink because I'm thirsty. It's like, that ain't gonna happen, right? This is not the work that we do. Thirst is where we feel our need. Where we sense something in us that is just not right. Where we sense a longing and a desire for more. When we sense a longing and a desire to be in a relationship that feels broken and, and not where it should be. That's, that's the thirst. That's the, the feeling of the need. And that's all is required of you. That's it. And you can come and drink freely of the water of life, which is basically the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement for you is that God wants you to be in this home. He wants you to be with him. He desires to have a relationship with you. And he went to great experience, expense to make sure that this would happen. So my encouragement for you is to come home, begin a relationship with Jesus so that the future that Jesus is preparing is a future that he prepares for you. So man, may we, by God's grace, be a presence of hope. May we hold on, best is yet to come. And for some of us here, may we come home and be in relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. So as we do each week, I just encourage us to take a moment just to be still, to be quiet, to hear maybe how the Spirit of God may be speaking through you. Maybe he's nudging you in a specific way to pray. Pray for your presence, how you're gonna show up this weekend. Maybe it's a specific need that you have from God in this moment. Just take a moment and cry out to him. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.